Welcome to the latest podcast from the Lakshmi Mittal South Asia Institute at Harvard University. My name is Aditi Chitkara and I'm from Shimla in India. I'm a first year undergraduate at Harvard College. Many of my former classmates from back home now attend Indian universities. In recent years, some campuses have become intensely politicized with fears sometimes violent debates taking place among students about the nature and direction of India. One of the most prominent voices is Sheila Rashid Shora, who's from Jawaharlal Nehru University in Delhi. Last fall, I was in the audience when she came to Harvard to present her views on the challenges of student activism in India. So I hope I uh, do justice to this beautiful student movement that has been going on in India for the last uh, two and a half years. And uh, I call it the Indian student movement, despite the fact that this this movement, so to speak, has been going on as protests in different campuses, basically. Uh, and as you see, uh, you know, the most dangerous thing for a government or especially the Indian government right now is a marginalized student rising above their identity transcending their identity and expressing solidarity with other marginalized identities. That is the most dangerous thing for a government and especially for our government. And the common thread in all of these student protests that I'm going to talk about is uh, the fact that they don't, that there was no single demand. So even though these protests can, all of those have a single demand, but uh, all of these movements also are demanding something else. These acquired an anti-fascist character, these acquired, as you can very clearly see, an anti-caste character, an anti-communal character, and uh, this is this is reflected throughout uh, the student movement. Uh, earlier, uh, the, the vice chancellors or the heads of institutions would, uh, you know, would have only, uh, like, a f- uh, at least the government in appointing them would only have a formal role. But now the government increasingly wants a more substantive role in the running of the institutions. So while most of these institutions are run by the central government, uh, they have something called the institutional autonomy, which is autonomy of thought, autonomy of uh, curriculum. But the present government uh, is, you know, is on a slightly obsessive project of having a more uh, substantive role in the sense that they don't just want to appoint a vice chancellor. They also want to dictate what the vice chancellor does. And what this has meant is an increased attack on freedom of expression and political organizing on campuses. And uh, much of this is in reaction to that. So obviously, it's not all kinds of dissent that is banned. The kind of dissent that, I mean, the kind of student groups that suit the uh, suit the central government, those are being allowed. Then I come to the Rohit Vemula movement. Uh, many of you might have heard of this uh, um, movement. I mean, there were five research scholars in uh, Hyderabad Central University, um, which is, uh, again, one of the top universities of India. So by the way, uh, you know, just as a uh, just as additional information, whenever any such movement, whenever any such protest happens, so the students are labeled anti-national, which is the American equivalent of unpatriotic, or uh, terrorists or Naxalites, which is basically another term for left-wing extremism. Uh, so that's how the students are, you know, termed every time there is a protest demonstration, every time there is a movement. However, these same institutions in 
ranking after ranking of the government's own mhrd of the government's own higher education department they turn out to be the number one institutions so uh, the, while the government also labels them anti national the government also funds them and the government also rates them number one so that's the that's additional context for all of this uh so yeah hyderabad central university is one of the top universities in india and uh, five students in uh, hcu uh, namely rohit vemula sukarna velpula uh, donatha prashant seshu and vijay they were uh, they were they were basically they were given very harsh punishments for organizing a program and after which they had a they had a run in with the ruling party's student wing so the ruling ruling party's student wing is called the abvp for future reference because i'll be using that in the rest of the presentation and the abvp threatened them they had a, a disagreement with them over the program etc etc and as punishment of course i mean nothing happened to the ruling party student wing but these five students who belong to the ambedkar student association which is primarily an anti caste student association uh so they were uh, basically suspended i mean they were there they were academically debarred and they were not allowed to use the public spaces in the in the university so they were not allowed to use the library or the administration building or the hostels etc etc so they called this social boycott now to go just a little bit into the cultural context of this um dalits in many parts dalits or the so called lower castes you know i'm i'm happy to clarify any terms later um if you know someone doesn't understand the cultural context uh, so um, i mean the closest that the closest category that comes to caste in in the american context is race basically i mean even though caste is not a racial category but it is a it is basically a social hierarchy and uh, dalits uh, who are at the you know who are at the most um, who are the most oppressed in this caste system who are who were also earlier called the untouchables uh they uh, you know they are um, often they often have to face social boycott uh where they are not allowed in their villages to use the common spaces they are not allowed to use the common wells and uh, i mean while this is routine uh, it it increases more if the dalits try to raise a voice so if a dalit woman is raped and the dalits decide to raise a voice there will be backlash like they can't raise their voice so they they will be socially boycotted so they called this punishment as social boycott because that's how they saw it that's what the you know as dalit students that is how they experienced this academic uh, suspension um so they were targeted for their political uh, activism and i mean we called it we didn't call it a, a so one of the students so during the movement so they were demanding that the punishments be withdrawn so during the movement one of the punished students rohit vemula he committed suicide uh, but we do not call it a suicide we call it an institutional murder because it was the i mean there were several circumstances that led to his death his fellowship was withdrawn so for 7 months he wasn't given his fellowship uh, you know which is something that is due to him but he wasn't given his fellowship they were um, you know they were marginalized by you know socially boycotting them etc etc and in the middle of this struggle he committed suicide um so this sparked major student protests across the city and he uh, rohit vemula became sort of like the face of the student movement in his you know after in in the aftermath of his death so the rohit act we demanded should um, you know be instituted or legislated to prevent caste based discrimination to prevent institutionalized discrimination against dalits in campuses the universities are basically graveyards of oppressed people because while they are i mean while because of various uh, affirmative action they are now finding a space in the university system but there again i mean once they get there 
they are again oppressed and they are again you know their voices are muzzled they are not allowed to voice their experiences i mean they're not even allowed to run study circles right i mean that's the example i started with that even if they run a study circle which talks about caste even that is muzzled uh now i'm going to skip to another um, uh, you know sort of movement across campuses in india uh so this one doesn't have a concrete form i mean it's like a horizontal movement of students g- women students across campuses in india who are demanding an end to discriminatory hostel rules now for those of you who you don't understand so hostels are residential spaces for students in campuses and uh while boys can go out of their hostels for as long as they want girls are asked to stay you know there's something called the hostel curfew uh which means that girls have to be in their hostels by 6 pm and after that they can't go out so uh luckily uh, in my university uh, it's not the case i mean it's not luck it's not luckily i mean this has been achieved through struggles so in our university it's not the case i mean which is why um which is why i mean it gives gives us it gives women leaders in uh, our campus additional capability to you know basically do activism or do whatever we want we study whatever uh so that's that's the thing i mean in other campuses it's just not allowed and it's discriminatory um and that is actually keeping women down so now um one of the so pinjra tod basically means break the cage that is what its literal meaning is and uh, you know what what women are really saying is that we don't want women's safety is like it's a thing of the past we don't want women's safety anymore we want freedom so you know let us take charge of our own safety because you've been in charge of our safety forever and you've not been able to ensure our safety now let us take charge of our safety ourselves let us go out let us take risk don't tell us that you know because you'll go out you'll face something etc let us face what we have to face we are resp- we are adults we are responsible for our own safety uh and it's an assertion of women's right to education freedom consent control over their sexuality and other choices so in that sense it's a very unapologetic movement it doesn't mince words and it's um you know uh, it's it's very horizontal so there is no central uh, i mean it's not located in one campus unlike the other movements uh so india by law requires every workplace to have an anti sexual harassment cell however uh the only campus that has a very good well functioning functioning anti sexual harassment cell is basically my university jnu and there uh, the anti sexual harassment cell is right now being demolished and watered down you know by the same administration which is appointed by the same ruling party now while women in banaras hindu university are demanding that we should have an anti sexual harassment cell the the only place where it is functioning correctly it's being it's being demolished basically jnu has a character uh, you know of uh, having talked about social issues and social justice uh, all along and uh, you know it has never been a quiet university it has always spoken up against so- social injustices and has been very political it is one of the strongest unions in the entire country so far let's see what happens to <laughs> what happens in the future but um it started over the questioning of death penalty uh, given to a kashmiri who was convicted in the parliament attack case um now i mean there's a there is a specific context to this there is um, i don't know how many of you follow uh, something called the death penalty project which was started at the national law university oh. delhi which re- released its report i think in 2015 or 16 and uh, they actually document how the the you know i mean it's it's about a flaw in the criminal justice system which exists anywhere uh, but especially in the case of india it says that 
the people who receive death penalty are usually those who are at the receiving end of the system which is to say the poor people dalits muslims adivasis adivasis are like indigenous tribal people you know like native people so they are at the receiving end of uh, this criminal justice system and they are the ones who are usually hanged so now uh, you know some student group had organized a protest here where they questioned the death penalty given to a kashmiri uh, who was convicted in the parliament attack case so there were a lot of questions in the sense that he did not receive a fair trial etc etc uh now this followed uh, this was followed by a vicious media campaign against the students and which led to the arrest of um, you know students on campus and of course uh, three people were arrested but of course everyone was being sought so all the union leaders and all the leaders of different left organizations were being sought at that time and they were you know um, about to be arrested uh, however i mean people st- students in genu were quick to react and they spontaneously i would say they poured out onto the streets and said uh you know don't do this to us and uh, that sort of pushed the government back um now you know uh, if one were to ask me what the contours of this movement were so in the fti case it was let's just say institutional autonomy in bhu case it was gender in rohit vemala movement it was caste in uh, occupy ugc protests it was uh, fund cuts in education genu uh, movement while it can be said that freedom of expression was one of the contours or nationalism which was being you know uh raked up by tv media at that time it was one of the contours but for me personally it wasn't there was no contour i mean this was about everything this was about everything wrong with the government and this was about everything wrong with the society in general it was uh, it was being led by women it was a very democratic pro- protest it was um you know it included everyone it talked about uh, you know many of the social injustices that happen in society today and it acted as a huge pushback against the government and it also um, uh, threw up i mean the students who were arrested they were instantly turned into national figures and now they uh, go around the country and they actually address meetings and gatherings so in that sense this protest has also thrown up the next level of uh, leadership in india now i want to end with uh, one incident that happened in ramjas college so uh, basically ramjas college is a college in delhi university and uh, there was a seminar going on on cultures of dissent and uh, i was one of the speakers there i was supposed to speak another person who was supposed to speak at the event was umar khalid uh, who was one of the students from our university who was arrested so um, as i said three students in our university were arrested kanaiya umar and anirban umar was one of them so umar came in the most focus i mean uh even though both like three students were arrested umar was singled out because he's a muslim and there was a lot of islamophobic profiling etc etc now uh, the two of us we were uh, supposed to uh, talk, speak at a seminar uh, that was held in ramjas college but the abvp again which is the ruling party student wing uh, they created a ruckus they disturbed the, the seminar they threw stones and they they strangled one of the teachers uh, like th- this is everything that they did and uh, what happened uh, was that this young student from delhi university her name is gurmeher kaur uh, she actually put out this picture of hers with a placard saying i am a student from delhi university i am not afraid of abvp and uh, this actually went viral i mean she started something called a students against abvp campaign so the rest of the placard i'm sorry i couldn't find a proper picture um so uh, below this place it says hashtag #students against abvp so everyone on social media picked up on it and they started putting out placards saying i am i am an ex abvp member and i am not afraid of abvp i am a student of so and so university and i am not afraid of abvp so this became a trend the students against abvp and of course the ruling party was rattled by it so they started 
trolling this girl on social media and abusing her etc etc and attacking her now somewhere somehow they found this older video of hers so this is a screen grab from a video uh, where she talks about so gurmeher kaur is the she is the daughter of uh, uh, you know of uh, of of an indian army soldier who uh, was martyred in uh, kargil which is you know in kashmir so now uh, this will require a bit of context Uh, so the indian government often accuses the students of being an anti national and unpatriotic and basically anyone who dissents of being unpatriotic and often what they say is that oh well you know soldiers are fighting at the border and you are so irresponsible so even when demonetization happened and people were complaining about the long cash queues uh, like that was a favorite put down line of the government that oh well soldiers are standing at the border and you can't stand in an atm queue so that that's like the stick that is used being used to browbeat everyone and here's a here's a here's the daughter of an indian soldier who was actually martyred who actually gave his life for the country and she's saying that i fight for peace between india and pakistan and you know i um, um i am not afraid of the ruling party's student wing etc so she was incessantly trolled and she was uh, abused and you know she was given rape threats uh, by the ruling party and um, you know finally what has happened recently is that time uh, has named her as one of the you know one of the future leaders from india so uh, this again i mean this again is reflecting uh, i would say not a social tension but actually a good trend you know where people are now afraid of hearing this whole thing about india and pakistan you know how um, pakistan is like the government's answer to anything any question you just answer it with pakistan so but now the youth from south asia are actually raising their voice and saying boss don't tell us to fight with one another give us concrete answers i mean you beat up students and then you say india and pakistan so uh, this is actually this was one of the strongest messages to come out of the of the students movement a message of peace from um, south asia with which i would basically like to end my presentation thank you I'm here studying English um and or government political science I'm unsure yet. I'm Roshni Chakraborty. I'm from Calcutta, India and I want to study the government or social studies. So I'm very interested in foreign policy and just policy in general. I'm Aditi Chatkara. I'm from Shimla, India and I'm very unsure about what I'll study, but I'm leaning yeah, I have no idea what I'm going to study. <laughs> So you're a freshman. You've just yeah. arrived to Cambridge a couple of months ago um, from India. And I'm assuming that some of your, many of your contemporaries from school will have remained in India to study. Mm-hmm. Based on what Sheila Rashid Shora said the other day, we um, were drawing from that anyway. What are the kinds of things that you're hearing from your friends about student movements and student politics on the campuses that they're on? Uh a lot of my close friends did end up going to college in the in the states or in Canada or in the UK. Um but so I don't have a first-hand sort of perspective on this, but from what I've been reading, essentially the major bone of contention between students and um academic institutions within India is that 
there's just a sort of disconnect between what the students think the the university should stand for and what the university thinks its role in in providing education is so i the way that i've read it is that students are looking at an academic institution as facilitating um their academic journeys rather than making it more difficult but uh because of the top down sort of uh system of education in india there's very little room for discussion between both the students and um faculty so i think what happens is is that just because there's no conversation and no dialogue these misunderstandings just keep growing and there's just a general from what i i read is a general um sort of disdain for listening to what the students are saying and that's why student movements i feel are, are just you know becoming much more about the freedom to speak in the right and like to have them their voices listened to than anything else while i do agree that there's a big disconnect between the administration and the students uh, i've spoken to a few of my friends who are going to schools like the like delhi university and i also think that there are major clashes between student groups themselves mm. and i think intolerance is a huge issue on indian campuses right now the question of free speech yeah and i think while there is a disconnect between the administration and student groups there's also a major conflict between the groups themselves and i think there are many groups are being intolerant of what some uh, some politically affiliated groups are doing and that's a major issue on indian campuses from what i've heard from my indian friends okay from i come from a very conservative place where most of my student most of my friends are studying stem mostly at iits or similarly prestigious colleges so most of them are not involved in student politics at all and when i ask them about their college about their life <clears throat> they don't even mention student politics in any way and i think that's mostly because they come from a very conservative background so student politics definitely has this um issue that it's a conserv- it's a liberal bubble it's a liberal bubble and the bubble isn't bursting it's staying within that um that sphere it's not going out it's not including more people more people either don't pay mind to what they're doing or the rhetoric of these spaces is so severe that other people feel alienated and they just don't engage with it so when you see on the news in various news channels in india the latest student protests you see shela herself being interviewed or many others um do you think that reflects really the real concerns of students in india or do you think that that's a relatively fringe issue um well i would say one that the media has had a very large role in in creating this sort of extreme rhetoric that's associated with student movements i wouldn't necessarily say that these student movements are are calling or fighting for something that's entirely unreasonable uh, for example in jadavpur university 2014 the, there was this movement called the hawk color of movement which was a a movement launched against the jadavpur administration for their um inaction on a sexual harassment case that was reported and these students were essentially just calling for a, an administration that was more willing to listen and respond to students concerns especially when about something as serious as a sexual harassment case on campus but rather than meeting them with um discourse and creating platforms for dialogue there was a police gherao people were lati charged um there were smoke bombs discharged so i don't think that there is this extreme rhetoric comes more from the opposition than from the movements themselves and i feel because dissent has sort of been associated with something that 
is illicit isn't sort of welcomed in society anymore, um, especially from students who traditionally in Indian colleges are expected to listen rather than speak out. Um, I think that rhetoric is sort of playing a large role in uh, making student movements um, out to be something that they're not. Where do you see students' roles in debates between BJP and Congress or in the larger political issues of the country? I think uh, so. Students are definitely very important in that. But I think one of the major problems is that politically affiliated groups on campus are given a platform, whereas the unaffiliated groups are just they're shut out. So, I mean, the classic example is the ABVP, which has been affiliated with the BJP. Could you explain what that is? Uh, it's a student group, which is essentially an arm of uh, the BJP the and the RSS. Wing. It's the youth wing of the... Uh, and they were involved in the protests which happened at GNU. And the ABVP has been given a platform. They're invited on all these talk shows to speak. And we hear th- about them all the time. But there are smaller organizations which reflect just what the students think, the people who aren't affiliated with political parties. So I think that's one thing that we need to give a platform. That's one group of people that need to be given a platform. Because... I mean, we know that uh, there are some there are some groups on campus which are affiliated with groups, and they're invited for m- many different talks. They're invited all the time, but I also feel like the majority of people on campus they do have a very different view of uh, like Indian politics and the conflict between the BJP and the Congress. So I think it's also important that we give these unaffiliated people a platform because that's when you really get to know what ordinary students think. So you're saying that there's been a I, w- I wouldn't even call it infiltration, yeah. but you're mm-hmm. saying that there is direct sponsorship by major political national parties on campus. Yeah, and that's been going on for the last few years. In fact, even uh, in uh, colleges in uh, our city, Calcutta, uh, colleges like Presidency, it's been heavily politicized. And you have political parties which are essentially sponsoring these groups, and it's it's basically a wing of those political parties now. It makes sense. They're they're the youth wings. It's within their ambit to proliferate the message of this political party to the youth. But if you one, protect them from or grant them privileges that other student groups don't have. For example, the ABVP in their inclusion in the protests at JNU, then engaged in a series of um, acts of violence, um, attacking students from JNU, uh, engaging and provoking riots. But none of these students were ever convicted, nor were they taken to court. So I think one of the major issues with youth wings of political parties that are engaged in student politics is that they're often shielded by the political power of their paternal parties. And so what happens is that they're not held accountable for for their actions, whereas um, student groups that are not affiliated with political organizations are often held accountable for things that they have not even even engaged in. In fact, they have the blame of a lot of the uh, actions of other groups shifted onto them just because there's no one to hold accountable. Is this a failure of university administrators? It kind of is, because university administrators almost always have a leaning toward which party they support. And right now in the country, it's very, very right-leaning, the environment, the temperament. And that shows, that becomes very, very apparent. ABVP does things that they should be held accountable for, yet they're not. And unaffiliated groups, like Josh said, they're held accountable, so... In a way, it's a very, very large failure of the university administration that they're promoting this kind of an environment that doesn't allow free speech and just freedom of expression. Do you think the standards are just that much higher in the US or the UK or anywhere else? 
Yeah, for me, ideologically, education isn't just about memorizing things. It's about transforming as a person and just transcending your own limits to get to places you can't go without, you know, engaging with the community and just expanding your horizons. And Indian education system doesn't provide that. It simply doesn't. So, yeah, that played a very big role in me deciding to apply abroad. Finally, if there's one thing you could change about the education system as a whole in India, not just on university campuses, but at high school level, even elementary school, in terms of access or whatever it may be, what is the one thing that you think would make an immediate difference, if there is such a thing? Uh, personally, I don't think that, as much as I love liberal arts, and it's one of the reasons I came here, um, is just to pursue a wider breadth of academic subjects. I don't, do not think that India's at a point in its development curve to appreciate what liberal arts has to offer because the bulk of students, the fact of the matter is the bulk of students going to these public education universities are doing it because one, it's obviously significantly cheaper than going outside of the country. Second, it's a means to an end, right? People aren't looking at education as like Aditi said, a way of of transform, like transforming yourself. It's it's a way of getting a job. And that's something that is a is a reality and something that we have to respect. But that, that doesn't mean that there's no room for improvement in the current education system. I think the things that we can improve on is, one, for the people that are looking at education as more than just a means to an end, to create the opportunities for them to pursue that as well. So I would say having a greater flexibility in, in curricula and how you study, having a larger emphasis on um, practical application of theories rather than just rote memorization, um, as well as just... An administration that isn't state-appointed and is more flexible and open to dialogue with students. Because as soon as you have an administration that's taking all of its decisions behind closed doors, it's breeding a culture of suspicion, breeding a culture of uh, mistrust, and it's, it's, it's a formula for student dissent and student unhappiness and dissatisfaction. So I think the one thing that I would change is sort of just breaking that border and, or boundary between faculty, like administrative people and students. So I agree with you in that we definitely need to switch from this whole rote learning sort of curriculum to one where we learn how to use it in real life and the a practical application of what we're learning. Another thing which I think that we need to fix is the whole thing with social stigma because the humanities is still looked upon as like you're never going to get a job why are you studying this and as a woman who's studying humanities I've been told why are you studying humanities you had good marks you should have just studied physics or chemistry and I think that first of all is absolutely ridiculous because the social sciences are as important if not more important in this current political climate and I think another thing is many people just view education like you said as a means to an end where like from birth we're taught you know you have to be either an engineer a doctor or a lawyer and so we're stuck in these fixed roles and I think we need more independence and we need to just break out of these social stigmas which are attached to different subjects and different like career paths. Um, for me, it would definitely be not numerically ranking people from an ethical standpoint. It's just disgusting how we assign a number or a letter grade to a student, and that sticks with them throughout their life. So school needs to be more reflective of how real life is, where talents other than rote memorization are appreciated and encouraged and, you know, just, huh, just supported in people instead of just 
assigning them a percentage grade and being told that this is your future.